Thanks for joining us at Reveal, a Jesus-centered community. To learn more about us and what's going on, check us out on the web at www.revealvineyard.com. We hope in the minutes to come, you're able to find God, find others, and find yourself. Thanks again for listening. Well, we're on the final week of our series called More Than Christian, and we've been unpacking what that term, Christian, uh, actually means. And you might be surprised to know that the term Christian was never used by Jesus, never used the word. Matter of fact, it's only found three times in Scripture. Jesus never used the term. His followers never used the term to describe themselves. A Christian was a term given, we said, by outsiders kind of looking in to try to label this new group of Christ followers. And so they were looking for a way to label them, to come up with a name. And, um, you know, someone came up with the idea of, well, let's call them little Christs. Let's call them Christians, Christians, because of their devotion to this Christ that they keep talking about. But the term was used uh, kind of mockingly to start with. But the term also um, was picked up by the early believers, uh, perhaps to the surprise of those who labeled them, really because it embraced all that the believers were trying to do. And that was they were trying to be little Christ. They were trying to uh, emulate the life of Jesus. Jesus never used the term, though. He did have a term that he used uh, when describing his uh, followers. And that term, we said, was disciples. And we've been unpacking this word. We'll put it on the screen. We said that a disciple is a learner, a follower, an apprentice, or a pupil. A disciple is trying to model their life after the person they are following. A disciple is someone trying to become like the person they're following. So when Jesus referred to his followers and when he refers to us as his disciples, what he's saying is that we are, in fact, trying to become more like him. That we are trying to have our lives uh, look increasingly more like him. Christian, on the other hand, Christian today can mean just about anything. Christian is not even defined in Scripture because it's rarely even used in Scripture. You can define, redefine, undefine Christian all day, every day until you land on a designer God and a designer religion made in your image because Christian is that nebulous. It's just kind of out there. But disciple is defined for us. Jesus is very clear what it looks like to be a disciple. And he says, if you're my disciple, you are becoming more like me. So we're asking the question, Jesus, how would you handle this situation? Because I am your disciple, I want to handle it as you would handle it. Jesus, where are you going? Because where you are going is where I want to go. Jesus, what do you think about this? Because as you think, I want to think. That's what a disciple is. Jesus said at one point that if you want to know if you're my disciple, if you want to know that your life is increasingly becoming more like me, listen to what he says in John 13. He says this, a new command I give you, that you would love one another. And that you would love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're, here's the definition, here's how people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, Jesus says, look, just in case you are unclear what love looks like, I think, you know, we all think we like to know what love is and what love, and we, we know a portion of it, but Jesus says, in case you become unclear, here's how I want you to love others. I want you to love others as I love you. Which, if we're honest, wouldn't be too hard if we weren't surrounded by idiots, right? I mean, that's just, (laughs) right? I wish Jesus would have put that last part in because you know he was probably thinking it, right? And so this is our struggle 
But love is the mark or the calling card of a disciple. It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to love those who are like us. But to love the unlovely is the mark of a disciple. To love when opinions differ is the mark of a disciple. To love through hurt and through frustration is the fruit of a disciple. Christian, quite honestly, who even knows what that means anymore? You can believe almost anything and still live under the umbrella of Christian in our society today. Christian really has just become one of many world religions that really don't set us apart at all. Believe what you want to believe, uh, it all is basically the same. Believe what you want to believe because they all end up in the same place. We have become, sadly, Christian in name only because Christ has been removed from the term. And so we're Christian in name only, but the Christ of Christians, Christians, is actually removed. And if, if the Christ is removed from Christian, we're just another of many numerous religions that the world has to offer. Jesus, understand, did not come to just establish another religion. Jesus actually deconstructed religion. He actually came and fought against religion and the trappings of religion, the do's and don'ts and the protocol and the keeping up of appearances. And he fought against religious hypocrisy and apathy and, and, and elitism and favoritism. That's what Jesus was about. If you want to know what Jesus feels about, quote, organized religion, just look at how he responded throughout the New Testament. Look at how he responded to those who were caught in the trappings of religion. See, you may not even know it, but you have something in common with Jesus. He hated organized religion too. And he fought against it consistently. See, Jesus was about reconciling relationships. Jesus was about removing the barriers that keep us from the Father. Jesus was about showing us what the Father is like. Jesus had a mission to call people, call creation back to himself. He had a purpose of establishing a family called the church here on earth, but it was never to be just another religion that leveraged its power and its manipulation through guilt. And so the idea was Jesus came to be a reconciler calling us back to God, but as we do with all things, we messed it up. And soon we became just another religion. When Jesus spoke to seekers, those who were genuinely seeking truth, he spoke of living water and abundant life and forgiveness and new beginnings and passion and purpose. But when he spoke to those who were wrapped in the trap of religion, he was brutally, brutally direct. Any Seinfeld fans, you'll catch the reference of Festivus. Jesus was actively engaged in the airing of grievances, right? He was constantly telling people exactly what I think about you and your religion. Right, saying that, that you think that your religion of do's and don'ts is bringing you life, but in reality, it's killing you. You think that your protocol and your appearances are bringing closer to God, but it's actually causing you to dig your own grave. Jesus deconstructs religion by taking away all that religion holds to. And religion, every religion is the same, and that religion uh, promotes some sort of works plan. This idea that if I can just do enough, that God would somehow... Uh, approve of me. It's all about balancing the scales, my good deed versus my, my bad deeds. And every religion is the same in that it's based on some sort of works. And Jesus deconstructs the works plan. 
Because he knows that, listen, you can never balance the scales because you have too much against you. It's not just what you do, but it's the thoughts that are bouncing around in our head. He says, there's too much against you. And so he deconstructs the works plan and he says, look, if you want to know how you get to the father that you want to get to, I am it. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And if you want to get to the father, you have to come through me. And so Jesus deconstructs religion. See, the power of Christianity, listen, the power of Christianity is the Christ in Christianity. And if the Christ is removed from Christian, from Christianity, we become impotent. We're just one of many religions promoting something, some better way of life, some self-help idea. And so I want us to unpack an encounter that Jesus had with the religious. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. It says, he entered again into a synagogue. Now what we're about to find is there were religious leaders in the synagogue who were waiting to make a run at Jesus. They're waiting to challenge him. Continue. He was in a, entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. Now Mark does not tell us why the man's hand was withered. It doesn't go into great detail, which is somewhat interesting because at this time in history, if you had a sickness or a disease uh, or uh, some type of accident, uh, or if you had something against you, the religious would diagnose you as a sinner, and therefore you were simply reaping the results of your sin, and God's wrath is upon you. Now this was very common in this day and time, and if we're honest, we still do this, right? How many times do we say something to the effect of, you know, because I'm sick, and I hear it all the time, well, God must be punishing me for something right? This goes all the way back. It just, it, it's, it's, it's never left us. And so the religious would say, well, God's wrath is upon you. That's why the disciples ask, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or, or his parents, right? Who, who's responsible? And so the religious would quickly diagnose what the problem is and, 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 and then would just kind of leave them on their way. Now, what we're about to see is that Jesus never asks about the man's hand how it happened, why it happened, how long you've been like this, no questions about what did you do to have this happen to you, what did you do to to catch God's wrath and God's anger, and why is God smiting you? In other words, this was not a let's pick through everything you've done wrong in life to land on why this has happened to you. And instead, Jesus wasn't concerned so much with the why as he was with the recovery. See, here's the thing. Christless Christianity is good at diagnosing people's problems, but doing very little to help them out of their problems. Did you hear me? Christless Christianity, when we become really good at pointing out everyone who's not living up to our standards, the very standards that we can't live up to ourselves, mind you. Christless Christianity is really good at diagnosing other people's problems, other people's dysfunctions, other people's misfortunes, but doing nothing to help them out of their situations. And so if, you, if one of your objections to faith is that Christians, Christians or religious people are quick to point and judge and critique and do nothing to remedy, Jesus would agree with you because that's not the religion that he came to establish. Jesus was not trying to determine the way in. He was looking to get the way out. And so we start to see this story unfold in verse 2. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. The religious lying in wait, looking for an opportunity to accuse, always quick to, uh, to critique. This is what religious people do. Here's a thought. 
Christless Christianity looks for a reason to accuse and critique, but Jesus looks for an opportunity to heal and restore. Now, I'm I'm sad to say that early on in life, I was in some Christian circles who made it their mission to critique everyone and to point out how the other one has failed. And that just was seemed like that was just for sport. That's what, that's what happened. I told you before, I was kind of in, 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 in a church of sorts that while there were some things that they did well, it was kind of elitist in a way. And, and this is going way back earlier in, in life. And was, was, was quick to, to critique and to accuse But Jesus was more interested in healing and restoration. And if Jesus was interested in healing and restoration, guess what his disciples should be interested in? This is the lifestyle that we should be living. So let Reveal never be a church that is quick to point out the dysfunctions of other people. Listen, never come here and people watch. Did you see what so-and-so wore today? (laughs) Did you see how so-and-so walked in? There was at least 10-foot separation between the two of them. I bet you they fought all the way here in the van. Right? Come on, you know, right? Hey, let's not people watch, right? Let's not be that type of church. Look, if you're looking for a reason to critique people, we got them and we want them because we are all slightly irregular, right? That's who we are as a church. We recognize that we're all wandering through life. We're all on the same journey, trying to be pleasing to Jesus, And so it's part of who we are as a church. It's why we did the last series of the comeback and people kind of revealed their worst parts of life and how Jesus is is bringing them on a comeback because one of our values is leave the masks, right? As soon as we start to feel that we have to be pretenders to come here, what begins to happen is people who are hurting begin to look at the pretenders and say, well, I don't fit here because everyone else has their things together and I must be the oddball. Listen, let me just tell you, nobody here has their things together, all right? right? We're, we're all on the same journey together, but Christless Christianity is quick to accuse, quick to, uh, to critique. Look at verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. Here's my thought. Here's my thought. Jesus is always calling to the front those who Christless Christianity pushes to the back. That's what I love about Jesus. He's always quick to call to the front those that Christless Christianity is quick to remove. If you read through the Gospels, you you see that Jesus was always for the outcast, always for the forgotten, always for the marginalized. Some of his parables even had to deal putting the heroes of his parables as being the one that the Jews saw as the outcast. This is just who Jesus is. He's always calling to the front those that society has written off. And I love that about him. So let, let me just ask you a few things. We're going to kind of do a practice here. Just kind of get in an attitude of prayer for a moment. If that means closing your eyes, go ahead and do that. Just Holy Spirit, I want to ask him that you would come. You would speak to us now. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And just wait in silence. I believe God will speak to you. Who is it in your circle that is being pushed to the back? Now, it may be someone in your family, it may be someone in work, someone in your school. Who is it that's being marginalized, looked down upon, cast aside? 
hopefully you have a name or face in your, your mind's eye. Now let me ask you this. Because you're a disciple of Jesus, just stay in an attitude of prayer. Because you're a disciple of Jesus, what would Jesus do? How should you respond? Stay in an attitude of prayer. Let me ask you another question. Listen, I'm coming gently at you. Don't get jolted out. Who is being pushed to the back in our country? And then ask yourself, how would Jesus respond? Because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I want to respond as Jesus would respond. All right, you can look look up here. Jesus is always calling to the front those who Christless Christianity pushes to the back. What disturbs me today is, in my opinion, there's a lot of Christless Christianity and attitudes that are taking place in our country today. Now, I'll upset some of you here, but here we go. Numbers are down, so I can, dis- I can upset less of you. <laughs> less of you. I won't say it next week when anyone's back. Um, you know, let's, let's take the immigration thing right now. I've told you before, I am pro-borders. I'm pro-military. Uh, I hope we never have to use it, but, you know, I'd rather have the biggest stick, right? I'm, that's just who I am. If you're not, that's okay. That's all right. We can love even when opinions differ. But some of the opinions that I hear from Christians regarding things like children being pulled from their parents is not the heart of the Father. And you need to wrestle with it because you're a disciple of Jesus, and you can be pro-strong border and all of that. I agree, I agree. But when we're talking about children and some of what happens to them, something higher than political preference has to be forming our opinion. And what I, what, what I fear, I'm trying to say this gently, what I fear is that we can slip into, in this category, people of being Christless Christians, where we're pushing to the back people because of whatever excuse that we give, when these are the very people that Jesus would call to the front. They're the very people that Jesus would say, no, 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 no. The marginalized are the ones that I've come after. Jesus said, look, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for the sick. And so I'm challenging us as gently as I can that you would challenge yourself on some opinions that have been formed that my, my, my belief is when you take the mark of a disciple is to love one another and the idea that Jesus is always calling to the front those that society has written off and there's a big populace of people right now that our society is writing off and as Christians we're doing it as well. And I just don't see the heart of the Father in that. And when you read through the Gospels you constantly see Jesus calling people to the front that society has written off. And so I think it's good for us to wrestle with that. And so who in your circle is being pushed to the back? Who in our community, who in our culture, who in our country is being pushed to the back? And how would Jesus respond to that situation? See, being a disciple means that our opinions are being formed over time. 
And so some ways that I used to think five, ten years ago is not how I think now because I'm following Jesus and he's changing my mind. And he's changing my heart and he's changing my opinion. And so I I want to leave that to you because I love this idea that Jesus calls to the front those who Christless Christianity pushes to the back. Look at verse 4. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But notice they couldn't even answer him. They're like, uh, yeah, that's a tough one for us to answer. Understand, the Sabbath was created as God's gift for us. The Sabbath was this day of rest, a day of uh, uh, reflection, a day of recovery. Ultimately, it symbolized Jesus, who was going to be our Sabbath rest, that we do not work for our salvation, that it is given to us by grace. We don't earn it. It's just, it's just plopped down upon us. We simply receive it. And so uh, the religious professionals took this idea of a Sabbath rest, and they exploited it. And they made a bunch of rules and categories and, and what was and was not considered work. And they had 39 different categories of, of what you could do and what you couldn't do. And if you did this on the Sabbath, you were a sinner because you were working. So you could do this, but you couldn't do that. You could lift this much, but you couldn't lift that much. And all of these protocols. And so when Jesus comes in, they're watching to see if he's going to, quote, work on the Sabbath. If he's going to, to heal someone. And so here's, here's this idea. They, they brought this, this entire thought process. They brought their personal preferences and feelings, and they made it a doctrine, but it was never God's intent. Here's my thought, is that Christless Christianity makes our personal preferences biblical principles. Christless Christianity has split churches because people had a personal preference that they just simply could not let go of. Because Christless Christianity makes our preferences doctrine. And when it becomes all about me, if you disagree with me, well, then we can't be together anymore. Do you realize that on the team that Jesus assembled for himself on the 12 disciples, that there was a tax collector? Everyone hates tax collectors. Even today, if you work for the IRS, get out, right? Right? And so I'm joking. And so tax collectors, right? He had Matthew as a tax collector. And then on this other side, he had a zealot. They were at odds with one another, right? They were looking for the overthrow of all things that the tax collector stood for. And so Jesus calls unto himself people who are on polar opposites, meaning, meaning, hey, we can be on the same side and don't have to agree on everything, right? So let's stop the Facebook banter and all the chatter and all this stuff about, about you don't agree with me and you're stupid, Right? Because, it's, it's, again, it's not the heart of Jesus, and we're disciples of Jesus, and that means we want to respond as Jesus responds. And so Christless Christian, Christianity makes our personal preferences a biblical principle. And there are very few things, in my opinion, that I'd be willing to die for. Jesus, the way, truth, and the life, that's one of them. But there are some other things that are like, oh, that's secondary, tertiary issues. You can read a passage, interpret it one way. I can look at a passage, interpret it another way. If Jesus is still being glorified in both of them. I don't know who's right. We'll find out in heaven. But I bet you I'm right. But we'll find out in heaven, right? <laughs> All right, one more, one more. Verse 5 and 6. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And what do you think happened next? Right, everyone starts singing hallelujah and rejoicing because the kingdom of God is present. Look what Jesus did. This is unbelievable. Man, there is such power and might in the hands of this man. And what do you think he did? Numbers, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot 
with the Herodians, those Herodians, God, I hate them, how they might kill Jesus. And instead of a standing ovation, they get a plot to kill him, right? Let's end his life. Now, part of the reasoning, this was part of it, it was bigger than this, wanting to kill him was because Jesus sinned by working on the Sabbath. He broke their Sabbath law, and so this, of course, meant that he was worthy of death. It was bigger than that, his claims of blasphemy in God, but this was part of it. Here's my last thought. Band, come on up, please. Here's my last thought. Christless Christianity sees the sins of others but ignores our own. And Jesus fought against this constantly. Right? So I said, hey, before you're going to point out the speck in someone else's eye, remove the big old plank that's in yours. Right? Before you're going to come down and, 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 and hammer someone else for their mistakes, understand that you did the same thing. Right? Before you're going to cast the stone of the, at the woman who is caught in adultery, let the one who has never been in adultery or even had the thought of adultery and has never had a thought of anything lustful, let that be the person to throw the first stone. And everyone's like, yeah, I got my shoulder hurts today. I, just, I would have, but I'm, I got, it's cold out. Right? It's, I got to warm up a little bit, right? This Jesus fought against, listen, Jesus fought against all that religion is his entire ministry because he was never about simply being another religion it was always about relationship first our relationship with the father being reconciled to the father and then our relationships with one another being reconciled to one another that's what jesus is about and if we are disciples that is what we are about and so as soon as we begin to point out the sins of others while ignoring our own we become Christless Christians. We've removed Christ from Christianity. Now, is there a place for uh, judgment? There actually is. Uh, I'm going to we'll touch on that in my next sermon. It won't be next week, but I'll, I'll do one more in this series um, uh, to, to touch on that uh, because there actually is a place for that. And Paul kind of breaks that down and what that looks like. And some of you might be surprised at what he has to say. But here's how we wrap this up. Um, you, I hope, are more than just a Christian, because Christian means anything today. I hope you are a disciple. I hope you're becoming more like Jesus. I hope your thoughts are beginning to look more like Jesus. I hope the pattern of living is becoming more like Jesus, because he is the first hill that we die on, right? It's all about Jesus. If we stop promoting Jesus as a church, then let's just close up doors, I have other things that I can do on my Sunday morning, like brunch would be awesome. (laughs) If we're not promoting Jesus, then we're just a self-help group, and that's not what we signed up for. Jesus matters, and if we take Christ out of Christianity, all we have is anity. I just came up with that. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. Stand with me as we pray. Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord, we covered a lot in this series. And um, what we're trying to get at, though, is trying to raise that bar. We're trying not to just fall into kind of the status quo of just, yeah, I'm a Christian. I kind of have this belief of Jesus, but there's no modeling of the life of Jesus. And we we want more than that because you've called us to more than that. You've called us to higher. You've called us to greater. You've called us first to receive your love 
and that it's nothing that we earn. It's just you poured upon us. And now you tell us that the way that I love you, without reservation, is how I want you to love others. And as you love others, you will be the mark of a disciple. People will see you and you will be a dot connector between your actions and the Father that you serve. And so today, we're asking for a new, fresh touch of your love for us, for every person here, regardless of where we may find ourselves, that you would, Holy Spirit, bring a new, fresh, anointing, revelation uh, of, of your love for us that is not based upon our works, not based upon our actions. It's simply based upon the Father that loves His children and that we would receive that. And so we are casting off anything that is against that, any um, shame and despair, any guilt, and we receive the love of the Father. And as you love us, we will in turn love others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you worship with us as we close? How great the love of God for us. And then Jesus says, the way I've loved you, when you walk out those doors, is how you are love others. And as you do that, the world will know, not that you're Christian, the world will know, the world will know that you are my disciple. Amen? Amen. We're going to start a new series next week for four weeks um, called Mind Masters, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. Uh, I will uh, do one other in this series. We're going to come back to it in a short time, uh, one to finish it up, and we'll talk about that idea of uh, grace and judgment and what that looks like, and we'll push, our, uh, push some of your theology a little bit, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. So God bless you. Hey, have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Meet someone on your way out. I look forward to seeing you. Uh, very soon. God bless you guys.